Today we're ending this series called Tis uh, the Season. And the reason we wanted to talk about this series at Christmas time is because we believe it is the season of relationships. Okay, so no matter where you live in the world, no matter, again, we talked, told you the stats last week, no matter where you live in the world, you celebrate Christmas. And when you celebrate Christmas, some of the elements look different. Not everybody does gifts. Not everybody does a tree, right? Not everybody does the exact same thing. They don't even do it all at the same time. But when they celebrate this holiday, one of the most common features and, and, and elements of Christmas around the world is that it deals with relationships, that it brings people together, that it's all about connecting with others and, and joy and thanksgiving. And, and, and that just seems to be a common part of it. And so uh, we wanted to talk about how the Christmas story affects us in terms of our relationships because we believe, right, we believe that the Christmas story is actually about relationships. We believe the Christmas story itself is all about relationships. Last week, I shared, uh, we read the Luke passage. If you remember Charlie Brown, right, the one that Linus kind of shares uh, from the King James Version, all right, he, he shares the meaning of Christmas with Charlie Brown. That's from the Luke uh, passage. We shared that last week. We read, I want to read Matthew's account uh, today. Matthew uh, wrote to the Jewish people, uh, and he was a little bit different. He actually brought in Old Testament prophecy. To, they, you know, Jews were all about their Old Testament and all about um, their heritage and their history. So he actually wrote the book of Matthew and told even the Christmas story with context to prophecy and context to, and kind of connecting the dots for the Jewish people. So let's read the Matthew account. Uh, this is in Matthew 1.18. He says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. And he, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, the angel says, and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. This is Matthew saying all of this occurred because there was this prophecy that said, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, and read those words with me, God is with us, right? The Christmas story is all about relationship. The Christmas story is in terms of this beautiful picture of God doing something with us in terms of coming to be with us in terms of the word becoming flesh. And that's actually one of my favorite uh, passages. And I, I told you this last week. I love the way John describes the Christmas story. He doesn't give us a narrative, right? He doesn't give us a narrative like Matthew or Luke. He gives, he writes his gospel with the, the lens of time and perspective, right? He writes the account of why Jesus came through the lens of, uh, you know, I'm sorry, he writes, he writes about the, the time of Jesus coming through the lens of why, right? Through the lens of what was the purpose behind Jesus coming. So if you go to John 1, where he starts off and talks about Jesus' birth, he does it very differently. And I love the way he does this. He says, in the beginning was the word. And that word, that Greek word that he uses there, logos, he actually used this word because at that time, all the Greeks, almost all the Greeks, which is one of the reasons Greek mythology was so well known, is because they all believed in something greater than themselves. They all believed there was a greater reasoning, a divine meaning to everything. 
And so uh, John uses the Greek word to help them understand, hey, in the beginning was meaning, in the beginning was this divine reason, and that was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, he says, in him, Jesus he's speaking to, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And he goes on to talk about, you know, he gives some poetic words about being the artist and who kind of went into his art, you know, and, and they didn't recognize the artist. So the artwork didn't recognize who the artist actually was. And so he actually says very specifically about his people, Jesus, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And he says, yet, but all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. He gave, that, was, that was the why. Again, John kind of putting into words. This is the why it happened, so that they would have the right to become children of God. And then again, I love the, the, the words where he says, hey, the word, again, that logos, it be, he became flesh, right? And he made his dwelling among us. This Jesus, this word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And he says, and we have seen his life. We've seen his glory. We've seen the testimony of his life. He says, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And then John gives two attributes. He gives two characteristics of what that life, what that glory looked like. And he said he was full of, read those two words out loud, grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. So again, I love John's description because John gives us the reason, right? He gives us the reason for the Christmas story, not just the story itself, but he goes on to say, look, the Christmas story, Jesus was born to restore our broken relationship with God. That's the reason Jesus came. He came to restore that broken relationship that we needed to be restored with God. And he did that with these two, in these two ways. This is part of how John described who Jesus was and how he did it. He said he's going to do that through grace and truth. And last week we spent all, I told you last week that usually Christians kind of, we have a kind of an understanding of the truth side of this thing. I'll tell you more about that today. Last week we spent all the time talking about grace. What does that grace look like? And what is it? I mean, we get stuck. You and I get stuck because we are always trying to find the balance of grace and truth. We're trying to find the balance of grace and truth. And the problem with that is, is just we're broken people. We all have a leaning one way or the other. We're either grace people, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it, man. Or we're truth people, that should and ought and, could, you know, we have the rule followers and we have the let it slide people, right? And so we try to find a balance of it, but we still remain in our brokenness that way. And he says, no, Jesus came because he was full of grace and he was full of truth. He was all grace and he was all truth. And this is how he came to restore the relationship we needed restored with God. And that's the same two things we need in our relationships with others. And so we talked about God's grace last week. We said, look, it really is an undeserved favor. Okay, we, did, we don't deserve it. We didn't deserve it from him. And the grace that we need to, 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 to work through the relationships in our life, it is also probably going to be undeserved. It's going to be unearned or unearnable, okay? No matter how many chances you get, no matter, how many, no matter how many New Year's resolutions you make, no matter how many opportunities you maybe clean slates you try to create in your life, it's an unearnable grace. And last week I talked to several folks afterwards and I had great conversation afterwards with people who were just like, why did you have to preach that? My family's coming today, right? Why did you have to, like, why, you know, why did you have to go down this route? Well, because grace is needed, right? 
Grace is so needed in our relationships, but it can't be the grace that you and I muster up. It can't be the best version of our balance of grace. It really, if it's going to help restore the relationships and be uh, who it needs to be to others, we have to have the grace of God in us so we can experience that and then give that grace to others in relationship. The other way, again, that I believe that he came to restore was through truth. Now, there's, truth isn't just all in itself. Truth actually has a purpose. We believe that truth gives life. And the reason I have to state the truth gives life, because when we focus on truth, which is what the majority of Christians do, we tend to land on the fact that, well, Jesus brought us truth. He came to confirm the truth of the Old Testament, and he came to, to kind of direct through the Holy Spirit all the truth given in the New Testament, and we're given the truth so that we can be right. And a lot of Christians, we, we stop right there, and it tends to be really ineffective because all we believe about the truth in terms of Jesus giving us the truth was so that we could be right. And that's not the reason that he brought truth. That wasn't the reason he was the truth. He brought the truth and was full of truth in order to give life. That was the end result. That was the product, if you will, that truth was going to create was going to bring life. If it wasn't that, then why did, like, if he just needed to be right, he didn't need to teach anything. He didn't need to tell any parables. And Jesus would have just walked around and just, people would have started talking and Jesus went, uh, wrong, right? You're wrong and I'm right, okay? Jesus, all of, Jesus could have been very simple. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm right, and no one is righter than me, right? But instead, no, he wanted the truth of who he was, and of what God wanted to bring us, he wanted the fullness of that truth to produce something. And that was to produce life, to give life. And there's something about that in terms of truth in us, being full of truth that gives life and allows us to be able to share lives with others. I want to show you in the Christmas story a moment that this happened. This is something I always find very unique in terms of the, st the Christmas story. Most people don't read far enough into the story uh, to catch these little tidbits, but I'm going to go back to Luke. I'm going to go back to his account, and we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. So last week we left off with, um, you know, Sunday morning we talked about the shepherds, you know, the angel comes to the shepherds, and then the heavenly host shows up and sings and, 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 and proclaims that God's coming to the earth. And if you didn't catch it Sunday morning, you caught it Sunday night because the whole play on Sunday night was all about this moment, right? So we pick up right there. We pick up in Luke 2, and it says, When the angels had then returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Hey, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened that the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger, right there, just like the angel had said. And it says, and after seeing him, the shepherds told everybody. Could you imagine this sight, right? Telling everybody what had happened and what the angel had said to them about the child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, right? Were amazed. And then I love this part. It says, but Mary, Mary kept all these things in her, what's the word? In her heart. And thought about them often. She kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Why? Because this was a moment in which not just truth was revealed, she'd already had truth revealed to her, but the truth that had been revealed was now confirmed, right? Was now confirmed. She had gone months and months and months 
with the only person who even understood at all what was going on was Joseph. And that's because an angel came to Joseph. She had been shunned by her village. She had been shunned by her family for having this child, this child that didn't belong to Joseph, out of wedlock, this bastard kid, right? Like she was, she was, she was the, the experience of that had to be hard because she knew the truth. And in this moment, right then, all that truth comes to life, and all that truth gets confirmed. And so everyone's astonished, everyone's amazed, but she already knew. And so she brings it and holds it in her heart and thinks about it often. What a beautiful picture of what Mary does. But believe it or not, it's, the only time, it's not the only time it's mentioned. Matter of fact, because we believe Luke, in part of the interview process of kind of putting his account together, he would have interviewed Mary. So this, uh, there's another time right away where Luke wants to tell us, no, this isn't the first time, or sorry, this is the first time, this isn't the last time this happened in terms of Mary. They go on a little bit later in chapter two to talk about when Jesus was 12 years old, they went back and forth to Jerusalem every year for the Passover. That's just what they did. Everybody traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover if they could make it. So they did that as a family. And then this last time when he's 12, they're going back, they're leaving the city, they're in this big caravan, and Joseph and Mary get there that night, and all of a sudden they realize Jesus is not with them, okay? They thought he was back in the back of the caravan, you know, like most of our kids drag behind us, you know? They're back here with their best friend, with their, with their, with their, 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 their co-destructing person, you know? Like, we're, well, Jesus will just show up at some point, right? And that night, Jesus didn't show up, so they get a little concerned. We pick up there where Luke says in, in, in Luke 2, he says, when they couldn't find Jesus, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him. Parents, just sit on that for a moment, okay? You lose your kid for three minutes, we're calling in special forces. Like, that's just the way, that's just the way we roll. No, three days after they realize he's not there, three days they go back to Jerusalem and they can't find him, and they finally discover him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them, and asking questions. And it says, and all who heard them were amazed at his understandings and his answers, and his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Right? Your father and I have been worried. No, that's what I would say. Your father and I have been frantic, right? Searching for you everywhere. Tell me the Bible's not relevant. This is exactly what a parent would say. And he goes on to say, but why do you need to search? Jesus asked. He said, didn't you realize that I should be involved in my father's affairs? But they didn't understand what that meant either. Like they still didn't understand what Jesus meant. And it says that when he returned to Nazareth, sorry, Jesus, then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother <laughs> stored all these things in her, what's the word? In her heart. Okay, now again, we gotta, we gotta understand the context of scripture. We're not talking about the heart just because it's emotional, because that's usually how we talk about heart. Heart really does, when you're looking at the way in which the heart is described in the, in the, in the Bible, it's talking about the whole being. It's talking about the core of who you are, the seat of who you are, if you will. And that's how they talk about the heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? And, and they talk a lot about the heart. Well, in this moment, that's the same word being used by Mary. No, she stored these things in her heart. She let that kind of fill her and who she was. And she thought about those things often. Later on, she doesn't understand at all what Jesus is saying. Jesus has lost his mind, in her opinion, doesn't know where he is, lost him for four days. And now he comes back to Nazareth, and yet she still stores in her heart the significance of what she knows is, is true, right? She's still storing in her heart what she knows 
to be true. This again, this is years. This is years before anyone will know the name of Jesus. This is years before anyone will follow him. This is years before he claims to be the Messiah. This is years before any miracles are going to happen. She's holding this truth in her heart because she knows there's something more. She knows there's, there's, there's a truth of the, of the significance of his life. And she has to hold that here. She has to fill her heart up with truth. And we believe that truth is the truth that gives life. Now for us, and this is the question um, that I want to ask, and before I, I do that, I'll share you a quick scripture. When I say the truth gives life, part of that is because of this beautiful picture of storing it up in your heart. Solomon tells us, right in Proverbs, Solomon tells us that there's significance to how we guard our heart, how we watch over our heart, how we keep our heart true, okay? And the reason is we keep our heart with vigilance, uh, uh, vil- vigilance, sorry, vigilance, the village hashtag vigilance. All right. Keep your heart with vigilance for from it, right, from it flow the springs of life. Like that's, the, that's really the purpose of your heart because everything you are is here and it's going and, and to flow. So you want to keep it pure. You want to keep it true. You want to be vigilant in keeping watch over your heart. And we see that with Mary. Again, we see that because she's holding that true All those things about Jesus, she's having to hold true to help her persevere, to help her with hope for the future when no one else knew but her. Now, when I was wrestling with this over the last week, I really began to, a question just continued to come to my mind. So I'm going to ask you the question, although it sounds like it's a setup for a joke and it's really not, okay? Here's the question I want us to wrestle with together. What are you full of, right? Now it does. It sounds like I set up to a joke. And do not answer for your spouse who's sitting beside you, right? I'll tell you what they're full of, right? All right, that's, what are you full of? Just primarily through this lens of what's in here in terms of your whole being, in terms of your heart, in terms of who you are at your core, what's in there? And what are you full of? Because for most of us, when we believe the truth, when we believe that the truth is just to make us right, There's a whole lot of junk filling up our hearts that might be true, but it's not benefiting anyone. It's not benefiting us, and it's not benefiting anyone in our lives. And a lot of times what we're holding up in our hearts really is kind of a a mixture of truth because we're really filling ourselves up with my truth versus your truth versus their truth, right? that's, That's usually what we're filling ourselves up versus the truth, versus the truth of God, versus the truth of his word. And this is, so when you start wrestling with that question, well, what am I full of? It's an important question to ask because if you're filling yourself up with your truth, if you're filling yourself up with truth that just helps you be right, then then you're going to respond very differently in life circumstances. Can you imagine Mary? Okay, Mary is giving us the great example, but could you imagine Mary in that moment when she believes the truth is just to help her show people that she's right? And in that moment, the shepherds all come in and tell her the story. And you know in that moment, she just wanted to Instagram the story, that whole thing, and send it back to everybody in Nazareth and be like, see, I told you, Susan, I told you he was a king, right? (laughs) See, Dad, I'm not a floozy, right? I told you, I told you, Mom, take your judgmental eyes and put them on Jesus, right? Because this I'm right, and finally, he's given me the truth so that I can show you that I'm right. And yet, that's not the truth, and that wasn't the purpose of her receiving 
that truth. But listen, so often that's what we're filled with. We're filled with a desire for God to confirm truth, our truth, in us so that we can be right. And because we're right, others are, what's the word? Wrong, right? That's why we think the truth exists. And guys, the truth, the the purpose of truth being given to us is not so that we can be right. It's so that we can give life. The truth came to us to give us life. And we have been given truth to be full of so that we can share that life with others. And Jesus, a couple of times, even when he was teaching, he would make reference to the heart. He would make reference to the things that come from the heart. He'd talk about two different trees and the fruit that was on those trees and that the heart represents the same thing in terms of the fruit that'd be seen because good, fr- you know, bad fruit can't come from good trees and, and good trees can't produce bad fruit. It matters what's in the heart. He said, you know, the things that come out of your mouth are all overflowing from what's in your heart. So when you start thinking about our conversations, when you start thinking about the evidence of our lives and the lives that we're experiencing, I start looking at what we're full of, and I come, I, this is just a short list that I came up with, but if I had to guess, this is most of what we're filled with. Sarcasm, cynicism, negative thoughts, anger, our own discomfort, frustrations, health afflictions, kids' problems, work issues, political angst, social injustice, our worry, our suffering, and our sorrow. I mean, just think, this is the stuff that comes up in almost all your conversations. This is the stuff that people bond over. This is the stuff that that people will talk about on social. This is what fills our social media. This is what fills your, your life and my life. If we're not careful, if we're not intentional of filling ourselves with the truth, then what we settle for, what we default to, is we settle for filling it up with my truth. And that's the only truth, the only thing I want to concern myself with is the stuff that makes me feel right. Even though I'm a Christian, I'm just concerned about the stuff that makes me feel right. But what tends to come out, what tends to come out in the experience of my life, what tends to come out of my mouth in conversations with people is all of this. It's all of this. Because that's what we're filled with. And again, Solomon said, no, this is supposed to be the springs of life. Paul says it this way. He said, we're supposed to fix our thoughts on what is. What's that word say? Uh, you, guys are all, you guys are all mumbling now. Okay, We're supposed to fix our thoughts on what? Right. What is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. We're supposed to think on these things and think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Like, that was the intent. That's the purpose of truth. That's the reason we were given the truth, was so we would fix our eyes on those things and fill our hearts up, fill our core being up with truth. So the purpose is to give life to others and to experience the life that God has given us to experience. Our conversation, the fruit of our life isn't supposed to be just all negative stuff and cynicism and sorrow and kids' problems and work issues. And listen, I'm not saying you can't come home and vent to your spouse about a bad day. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't have those conversations. I'm just saying when you take real stock at the conversation that comes out of your mouth, when you take real stock about the things you say to yourself in terms of the life that you're living, 
We see more of that list than we want to, don't we? Yeah, because that's what we are filling ourselves with versus fixing our eyes, fixing our thoughts on what is true. Now, here's two things. I tried to make it real easy since we asked the question, what are you full of? I tried to just give you these two things in the frame of that, con- that, frame of that word just so you could remember this. Because I really do believe, again, that Jesus came to bring us life. And he came full of truth so that life would be the result. That we would experience it and then we would share it with others. So the first thing is that whatever you're full of will determine the life you're living. Right? Whatever you're full of, whatever's filling you, is going to determine the experiences of your life. It's going to determine the kind of transformation you're actually seeing in your life. It's going to determine the growth that you're experiencing in God or not because of what you choose to allow to fill you up. And again, if it's just about being right, you only need three or four verses, right? And you can just pretty much pin that against everything else that you want in your life. If it's just about you being right, this is supposed to be giving you life to the full. Matter of fact, God said it this way in Ezekiel. He said it this way in terms of talking about your heart. He says, I will give you a new heart, right? This is even before the New Testament, before Paul talks about a new nature or the old man. And a new life. This is God in Ezekiel saying, I'm going to give a new heart to you and I will put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn, cynical, angry, sarcastic, political angst-filled heart. I'm going to take that out and I'm going to give you a tender and responsive heart. Like, that's the purpose of transformation. That's, that's what's supposed to happen when we're renewing our mind, when we're allowing him to fill us up with truth. Is we, first and foremost, we get to experience the fullness of life, the life that he gives us. He tells us in John 10.10, 10, this is Jesus' words in John 10.10, 10, where he says, look, the thief comes only to still kill and destroy, but I have come. Okay, go like the Christmas story. I've come that they may have life. And they can have it, what's the words? To the full, right? I, I've come that you'd have life. I've come so that you can be filled with truth and that the results of that would be the life that you get to live, the life that you get to experience, the joy, the hope, the perseverance, the patience, the long-suffering, the kind, like you get to experience all of that when you are filled with truth. And there's a thief in your life. The enemy comes to steal your joy. The enemy comes to kill the relationships in your life. The enemy comes to destroy your faith and your trust in God. The enemy comes to let you, is so satisfied when you and I remain okay with being filled up with all that other junk. Instead of being filled up with truth that he knows brings life. Let's us experience life to the full. And then the second thing is, again, kind of go along with it. You know this. What you're full of will determine the life you're sharing with others. Okay, it first starts with you, but it's going to go into the life you're sharing with others, which goes back to the relational side of this whole thing in terms of, 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 of even the Christmas season. All right, here's what Jesus said in John 8. He said, Jesus spoke to the people one more time, and he says, no, I'm the light of the world, and if you follow me, You won't have to walk in darkness. You don't have to stumble around because you will have the light that leads to life. 
That's what you've been given. You've been given the light that leads to life. And that is the life that you're now getting to share with everybody else. So in the next 48 hours, you're going to go be with family. You're going to travel. You're going to have some people at your home. And sure, you can ride the momentum of the Christmas spirit for a little while, right? You can ride the cheer of people not seeing each other in a while. You can ride the momentum and the, and the happiness of gift giving and things, but you stay with somebody longer than 48 hours. Am I right? Okay. You have people in your home for longer than three or four days. Am I right? Okay. All that's going to wear off. All that's going to wear off. What's going to be revealed? What's in you? What you're full of? That's what's coming out. Am I right? And yet, Maybe you haven't even intentionally thought about what it is that you're sharing with other people this Christmas. Like, what are, you, what are you getting ready to share with people over the next couple of days? Is it just the momentum of Christmas joy and spirit? Or do you have life? Life, and, the, and you have the light that leads to life that you can share with others. Jesus said this to Nicodemus because we have to remember that this is not something we manufacture. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and talking about what new life looked like, Nicodemus was all a little, he's a little heady, he was a Pharisee, and so immediately when Jesus talked about being born again and new life, you know, Nicodemus went straight to, well, how does that happen? And my mother can't do that. You know, it's just one of those literal moments, and Jesus had to make it very clear, no, 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 no. You know, we're limited. So it's humans, right, us, we can reproduce only human life. And just think about the miracle that that is. But we're still limited, right? He's like, no, that's all you can do. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life because that's the life that we have to share, right? It can't just be, again, it can't just be it's your own energy. It can't just be what you manufacture because as humans, we can only manufacture a certain amount of life. But, but we have, because of the Holy Spirit in us, if we're filled with truth, we have a, a spiritual life to share with others. We have something significant to share with others. But what you're filled with determines what you're sharing with others. What you're filled with really determines what you yourself are experiencing. And I gave you the same challenge last week. I couldn't be more creative to, to give you something different. So I'm just giving you the same exact challenge I did last week, which is this. You simply cannot give what you haven't received. You, you just, you can't do it. You cannot give anything that you yourself have not received. You can, you can, you know, decorate your house with a couple of scripture things. You can have some, some things memorized to share with some people at your, at your Christmas dinner. But the reality is, is if you are not full of the life that God has given you, and you, you're not full of the truth that brings that life it doesn't really matter what you say. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't do a miracle through a scripture verse somewhere. You try that, okay? I'm saying the, the design was that you would be experiencing the fullness of life. And that you, because of his birth, because of Emmanuel, God with us, who came in the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth, that you would have that kind of truth that produces life that you can share with your friends and your family and the people that you are going to rub shoulders with in this season. Don't let it be just the momentum of the Christmas season and, and spirit driving you over the next couple days. 
If you're a follower of Christ, if you're allowing the truth of God to fill you, you've got life to share with someone. You do. You've got life to share, but it starts with you. So what's in your heart? What's in here? Is it the truth that gives life? You know, one of the things that I love about um, just music and the thing I love about singing refrains of songs is that I love especially when it's, when it's all from scriptural truth and it's all things to help confirm the truth of God in our lives. It's all things to help us kind of seal in our hearts what we should know to be true and experiencing. I love, there's a new song by Lauren Daigle. She's a young artist on the scene uh, called You Say, and it's a great, it's got a great refrain. Uh, the words are, Really simple. She says, you say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. You say that I'm held when I'm falling short. And when I don't belong, you say that I'm yours. And the last part of it is really, she says, I believe, but I think it'd be better to say she chooses to believe what you say of me. And we sing a, we sing a chorus as well called Who You Say I Am. And, it's a, and again, it's just a refrain of some, some, some truth that if we were intentional, if we allow it, it can be something that actually fills us first. That we can say those words and repeat those words and sing those words. And maybe for the first time in a long time, you can allow the truth of God to fill you. And so that's why I, I want to close that way today. I ask Chris to come and lead us and those words lead us in that refrain so that we would have an opportunity. I mean, again, this, this might be something you do in your everyday worship. This may be something that you're just, you automatically have a, a, a rhythm of filling yourself up with the truth of the Word of God. That's great. Sing as loud as you can, right? Help others. But maybe this is the first time you might actually think about these words and actually think, hey, if what these words are saying is true, then that's the truth that I want to fill me. I want to fill my heart, my whole being, so that I have a life that I can experience in God, and I have a life that I can share with others this Christmas. So would you stand? I'm going to have Chris lead us in the bridge and the chorus of just the song, and then I'll come and uh, close us in prayer in just a minute.
just pray with me. Oh man, God, if just in those few words and that small refrain, God, if we could just let those fill us up, if we could just let those fill our hearts. God, I know when the truth is filled up in me, there is no room for self-righteousness. There is no room for graceless thinking. There is no room for division. But God, when your truth of who you say I am fills me. Not only do I get to experience life, the life you came to bring me, I have a life that I can share with others. I have a life, I have a light that leads to the life for all mankind. God, thank you so much for making your dwelling among us, to becoming flesh and making your dwelling here, to being Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Jesus, so much for that. But God, that gift, that gift that you brought us, you gave us by your Holy Spirit the power to be full of grace and full of truth. And God, the relationships that extend beyond this room so desperately need to see your grace and your truth that brings life. God, thank you for that gift. May we respond well today to be intentional about continuing to fill us up, fill our own hearts with your truth, not be consumed with my truth so that we can experience and share that life. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.